Vine Pairs New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And it's the Vine Pair Friday Podcast. Hello, friends. Mm-hmm. Happy Friday. It's good. Happy June. Happy I, June. Best month. Okay, birthday boy. <laughs> yeah. We know. Un- unbiased. We get it. The best month. <laughs> yeah, no. you and my son un- in agreement on that point It's alone. a great month. Mm-hmm. I like July as well. I just like summer. Yeah. Summer's just yeah. great. We, until it becomes oppressively hot and you're like, I hate this so much. Yeah, it's the worst. It's... <laughs> yeah, but for the most part, I, I enjoy summer. Uh, so we're going to talk today about canned and bottled cocktails, which we talked about in the past. But uh, the reason we wanted to bring this conversation back up now is we have a battle coming to the fore. Ooh. And the battle is that, you know, we, you had first mover advantage brands that launched, you know, Five, six years ago, even two or three years ago, pre-COVID, they were these brands that were like, you know what? No one's making a bottled Aperol spritz. I can't use Aperol, but I'm going to make a bottled spritz, and I'm going to call it, you know, the New York spritz or whatever, and I'm going to make it. I'm going to start selling it, or I'm going to create a line of cocktails. Uh, I'm going to name my line something, you know, not to call it any one specific brand, but, you know, we could say maybe... X, Y, or Z, and I'm going to make a, a bottle of Old Fashioned, a bottle of Manhattan, a bottle of Negroni, et cetera. And that has been successful for a lot of these brands, although only one brand that started as an indie has been bought. That would be On the Rocks that was right. bought by Beam Suntory. They were one of the first to, if not the first, really, to do this. Lots of other players out there in the market all across the country. And now you have the big companies who are coming in and saying, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so you, y'all are doing this, but uh, we actually have the spirits that most people n- know for these cocktails. And we're going to now make these can and bottle cocktails with our brands attached. Uh, you know, whether we're going to make a Knob Creek Old Fashioned or we're going to make a you know, Bombay Sapphire gin and tonic or a Tanqueray tonic or, or a Crown Aperol and Cola spritz. or an Aperol spritz. Uh, and the question now becomes like, what are gonna, what are consumers going to be more interested in? Are they going to be more interested in brand? And mm-hmm. by brand, I mean the brand of this indie cocktail brand that has a bunch of different skews of cocktails. And they're going to say, I, these people know how to make canned cocktails or bottled cocktails. So I'm going to go to them. Or are they going to be more interested in the brand of spirit and say, you know what? I really trust Bombay. It's my spirit, my gin of choice. I'm going to trust that their gin and tonic is better. What do we think? Ooh, I, to me, this is a situation where I think, it, not to weasel out of this, but I think it really, <laughs> depends, it, it really depends on the drink, I feel like, more than anything else. But I think that answers the question, though, right? Yeah. Because if, you, if a brand has a whole range, but you only like some of them because you have a specific cocktail in mind that you would prefer to have, like, a, a, a big name attached to it. Is that what you're saying, Zach? Not exactly. I think what I'm trying to say is, like, something that's like a, like a gin and tonic, right? right? Where you're going to say, I like, you know, I like Tanqueray and tonic. Well, obviously, if you have two different things in front of you, and one of them is Tanqueray, gin, and tonic, and the other is, so, I mean, I don't think we actually see these as an example, in part because I think people have shied away from that kind of, um, you know, kind of canned or, or, or bottled cocktail because it's kind of hard to do generic gin generic tonic i mean it would have been interesting if like you know fever tree or or something put out their own like you know uh, no we see a lot of generic gin and tonics oh okay well i mean like now now it's it's sort of like usually a brand that like 
even maybe launches with a generic. I mean, to be generic, it's like this is the X gin and tonic, and then and now they also happen to have a gin they're selling. <laughs> but you yeah. know, I mean? but they started as a can gin tonic brand. Yeah, yeah, we we've seen but a lot of those. Let's put it this way: I think those are the ones that are more likely to get displaced as the as the big you know spirits brands get into this space. I think if you're someone whose whose ideal gin and tonic is a tankery and tonic and you want a canned version, you're going to opt for that canned version versus any other. Yeah. Because people are, are, are spirit loyal. I think when you get to, to cocktails that are, um, a little bit less, uh, less closely associated with a specific, with not with a specific category of spirit, but a specific brand of spirit, that's where I'm not sure. And I think we were going to have to see, and I think we're, we are, as you know, we'll talk about with the thing we're, we'll be tasting later. And I think with like tying back into our ranch water conversation from previously, like, I think, where the where people might not have an established preference yet is where there might be space for some of these established but not like established brands of canned cocktails but not established spirits producers to still have success yeah i think it's an interesting like i i think it's interesting because there's been enough time now where these canned brands or canned cocktail brands have been around for a while now that these spirits brands are coming in to see if people like, I think for some of the canned cocktails, it does feel like there's lacking, right? Like I really wish this had this particular liquor in it. Um, it doesn't taste as good. It doesn't taste quite right. So I think that's where it will be really interesting to see if in like a Negroni, like for example, um, the specific brands will make a difference in people choosing them. I think, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. My gut is that it will. Like, like people will opt for the spirits brand versions. Yeah, as, mm-hmm. as like lo- I think of the Aperol Spritz, for example. Yeah, like yeah. Well, why are you going to buy a spritz brand if Aperol Spritz is everywhere? And also I think the big the big brands will have marketing dollars to put behind them. Sure. And they'll say, you know, like, I mean, Campari has a very easy campaign they could run, right? Like drink the original. Right? This is the original Negroni with, made by the, you know, the spirit that is the quintessential ingredient in the original Negroni, right? Yes, you can call it, you can make a Negroni with any bitter, bitter red, yep. liqueur, mm-hmm. whatever, but like this is where it was created. This is how it was created, yep. you know, and the majority of Americans are saying, cool, cool, cool. I got, yep. yep. And then the ones that, you know, in the cities will be like, no, we're too cool for that. We've been drinking at Costa bars that haven't been using Campari for years. Right. And fine, maybe those people will drink something different, but I think that, you know, mass market, it will be to, the Campari, you know, the Campari Negroni. And I think, I think what this is going to do is I actually think, this is my bold prediction, I think that in the next, like, five years, you're going to see a lot of these, these upstart RTD brands go under. Uh, I think the space is way too crowded. Yes. And I think they're all making the same cocktails. Yeah. And the only brands that will survive are the brands that have invested very heavily in branding their brand. And in figuring out how they get in placements where yeah. they are everywhere and they've become a brand. And well, look, that's what I was going to say. The, how can they even compete when you have brands like Campari or Aperol yep. putting them in every liquor store when some of these smaller brands can't get that distribution or placement? And so then it, it just doesn't matter. So like if then – so we, we don't have it in front of us to taste, but uh, you know another large spirits company just came out with their sort of version of what I would call – on, what on the rocks is they kind of look very similar to on the rocks actually but it's called batch and bottle it's i i believe it's we were just talking about it 
It's William well, Grant. Yeah, yeah so saying. William Grant. Yeah, right. so I believe it's William Grant. It is William Grant. So Batch and Bottle, and they look very similar, and it's their own brand they're creating with their with their liquids inside the brand. And again, like, how does another brand like that compete? The only brands I think that can can, can compete against this are brands that have gotten massive placement, like Tip Top, which is on every Delta flight. Yep. So yeah. people, those partnerships, the, you know, those massive partnerships, like maybe if someone makes a deal with Live Nation and they can be the the cocktail that's in all of their, you know, owned concert venues, things like that. And people are just naturally seeing those that brand. But like and so this is where sort of I have that intel that I tease you guys about. So I had a lunch with some pretty prominent like VCs that invest a lot in the alcohol space, they may even be connected to a pretty prominent alcohol VC mm-hmm. uh, a few weeks ago. And they told me like this is why they're shying away from the RTD category right now yeah. because of this, because if you're a brand that's already kind of blown up, you are you, people, they're going to start, people are going to start looking to acquire you already. Right? right. You almost don't need to have that funding. And if you haven't blown up yet, there's no way to tell that they're making the right bet. Yeah, your liquid could be delicious. You could have the best liquid of anyone out there. But, you know, if if you don't have the relationships or have the ability to get on, so Delta's spoken for, every American Airlines flight or whatever and compete against, you know, the massive alcohol companies that are already coming on to these, you know, flights with their branded spirits, right? It's it's really hard to decide to make those investment bets now where it wasn't hard five years ago. Like, even three years ago, they were still looking at these deals. And now the deals for RTDs are not as interesting. They're instead looking at sort of like RTD adjacent. So like uh, a brand like a brand that would stand out here is a brand like Long Drink, right? So Long Drink came out you – know, it, it is a well-known cocktail in Europe, but well, – well, in fin- Finland, Finland yeah. right? Finland, but yeah. no one knew it in the U.S. Arguably no one knows it in the rest of Europe either. Uh, but they took it, brought it here owned it and have grown it really quickly and so they own that drink even though that drink traditionally has gin in it but there's no no, gin. no one knows about it mm-hmm. here in the US so they're able to say like no we are long drink which is why that's something that's investable you know so you think about maybe there's another cocktail that's bigger somewhere else that someone could bring and say this is we're going to build our brand around this but i think it's going to be really hard you know in the next few years for any of these brands to continue to build their their brands around generic cocktails. Well, I think I think Zach, I think you mentioned this earlier. I think the opportunity is in the cocktails that don't have specific brands associated yeah. with them. Yeah. So like yep, um maybe I don't know. Now I can't think of any examples. A sidecar perhaps. But like But start- Remy Martin could come out with a side, you know. True. Yes, and of course. And say like, "Hey, you know, we we are we've put a ton of money into our sidecar campaign and cogn- and we're a great cognac." And or Hennessy could do the same thing. Yep. But for other But drinks. I think there's a big difference between a, a, a spirit that people already associate with a cocktail like i said if you're a gin and tonic drinker you probably have a gin preference if you're a, te- a margarita drinker you probably have a tequila preference and and that's a hard thing to push someone away from brand loyalty yeah. on uh, if you're a whiskey and cola drinker you probably have a whiskey preference etc but where i think you can make inroads is either with you know as we have been talking about cocktails that don't have like a super clear uh, spirit preference that people think of like if they're like i said yeah if you're like oh i drink i like a sidecar i guess sure or you know i like you know i don't know a painkiller or something right like people are not going to necessarily be be super spirit or brand loyal there the problem becomes of course then now you're starting to 
to work on more and more obscure cocktails right. and your problem as a brand is like okay but how do you suddenly create a super huge demand for one of these more esoteric cocktails and so i think you know i totally get why the vcs are like not interested because the space for this is always going to be kind of niche i also think the other thing to come back to what we've been talking about is like to what extent are place are our brands like you know grupo campari and or not not brands are big like big yeah. multinationals gonna really start using their heft to like displace like I don't know if they're going to come after tip tops placement on on Delta, but like you do, I do kind of wonder if like you know, th- there's always a tension in these areas, right? It's the same with with anything, any concession at any large scale uh, venue or or set of venues or whatever. Like the big boys want all of it right. because they that's their that's their mo, and I I do wonder if there's going to remain much space except at smaller in just on smaller local scales like like most everything we talk about in this podcast uh, in some way like the the local share is going to be might be relatively strong for some of these brands but if you're trying to be a a regional or national player yeah I think you you have to be there now I don't think there's a lot of room left right. yeah I think yeah you you have to be there now and like maybe there's a few co- like one of the cocktails I think of that you could maybe still own but it's it's maybe even too late is like if the espresso martini right like right. could you come out and build like a, a canned cocktail brand or a bottle cocktail brand around the espresso martini like i don't know anyone who has like a specific Kahlua vodka did call it, right? or whatever but then you have Kahlua, right and then Kahlua's is like no we we have it we although got it. it's not that good um but yeah i mean I think, <laughs> it doesn't you know, matter it raises a question too with this where it's like you know those kind of drinks is fascinating to me as as a canned or a bottled version because like you can't really replicate the look yeah. without the like, you know, like you want to if you want a head on the drink, like you can't just pour that unless right. you get the like uh, was it the Guinness little uh, weight, you know, like the little thing, uh, right? yeah, like a nitro like a nitro espresso martini, and then <laughs> and it brilliant. includes on the side of the can three little espresso beans for you <laughs> for you oh my on the top of the drink. Okay, I mean, we're not running this podcast. I am taking this idea like the, and like the yogurt it. thing uh, on top yeah yeah like the yogurt on top the granola on yeah, top with the granola, the granola on top, top of the yogurt yes oh, this is brilliant this is brilliant. Okay. <laughs> okay wow we just workshopped that for somebody you're welcome uh but yeah i mean i think i think it's becoming really hard because and look we we always saw this coming and it's just that the, the big brands move so slowly that it takes them a while but once they're in the space i it's think it's easy it, then yeah it's easy and i just i think again like if your drink is crown and cola Right? Are you gonna buy a a, a random whiskey cola mm-hmm. drink, or are you gonna buy Crown and Cola? Right. You know, and, and same like, and I will say also like the Tanqueray and Tonks are great. I think they're they're very right. well done, and I also happen to like Tanqueray with my, you know, with my gin and tonic. So I think those things become very very uh, hard to compete against. Very hard to compete against. Yeah. Well, do we want to try? Sounds like Zach's already trying to move. Yeah, it sounds there. like Zach's ready to go. Zach, you mixing up? I was just wait. I was moving my glass because. Uh, <laughs> yes, sounds like I'm, you're I'm opening just, the thermos. Let's do it. So what we have in front of us is the new Campari Negroni. Uh, comes in a really nice. Uh, is it three seventy five? Yes, three seventy five bottle, um, and it basically says, "Pour over ice straight from the bottle." And then stir and garnish with an orange slice. Joanna, where are the orange slices? I'm so sorry. Orange slices. This is for Tim. Oh, wait, we brought for Swirl Tim. it around. Wait, we brought for Tim? Yes, of course. I didn't. Okay, could you please, your, can you, yeah, can you dump your ice and then, <laughs> I just don't like that there's water in it. Behind the scenes for listeners, uh, the cold draft 
system has not been set up at Fine Pair HQ quite yet. So no, Tim's it. building it for me. <laughs> building it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna stir. So oh it, I will say this: it definitely looks correct. Like yeah, it's the right color. So I would say, in, which I mean, fuck, it better be right but. in the glass. It looks like the right color. Um, I will. So the other thing that I was very curious about is a lot of people who've. Joanna's banished from the studio. She just dumped Negroni all over my brand new, like, pad that I just bought. And, you know, it's a felt pad and it's artisanal. And I, you know, it took a while to come from the from the people from Germany. Between this and the oh dirty Shirley's last week, I really am destroying Joanna, everything in here. You're banished. I'm so sorry. We should have done white Negroni. Gosh. Ooh, those would be good. You could own that. No one owns Suze. Suze. No, no, Suze is never doing that. But anyways, yes, it is the right color. I would say also the thing that people have uh, has said to me who own like the smaller canned cocktail, bottle cocktail brands is like, oh, well, what they thought that the the brands haven't gotten right is the proof, right? But this actually is 26% alcohol, so 52 proof. This is what I've seen. The, the brands that say they do it well have yeah. it as their proof, so they did not lower the proof. Let's, I guess, let's let's take a, a aroma first. I mean, it smells like a Negroni. Because a Negroni is a Campari drink, not a gin drink. It is a Campari drink. Hmm. I would say this is a perfectly acceptable Negroni. There's something about it that I can't put my finger on that I don't like about it. Do you want my take? I think it doesn't have enough gin here. Yeah, it doesn't have enough gin. Yeah, it's too much for me. There's no juniper in here. There's too much... It's sweet vermouth at the end. and Campari, mm-hmm. but it's a perfectly fine Negroni. This goes back to our Monday episode. If you gave me this at a family restaurant, I would totally drink it and be like, "I'm fine paying twelve, thirteen bucks for this." Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a perfectly well, don't good. Don't you think Negroni. this is that's one of the main target audiences for this? I mean, yeah, because again, they're putting it in a bottle, so they're not intending it necessarily for some of the same uses that a canned version would be. Although maybe they'll also be putting it in cans eventually. But to me, this is like, as we talked about a while back with, with RTSs in general, like I think the, the, the absolute optimum place for the placement for this is like, okay, maybe, maybe everything from TGI Fridays down up to, you know, your neighborhood joint yeah. that doesn't really like just, we have a bottle of this on hand. Someone orders a Negroni, perfect. Pour it in, you know, pour, you know, whatever, two ounces of it or three ounces of it into a, into a glass with, with ice and hand it to them. Like you can knock out a Negroni and you know, nine seconds. Yep. And like, I think that's a big selling point. I mean, so I think it's interesting. I, you're right. It definitely doesn't have enough gin in it or gin character in it. But besides that, I mean, you, you would buy this, have a dinner party, start with a round of Negronis, not have to worry about mixing them up before people come over, pour them in the glass and then go on to your wine or whatever. Like it's, it's very. It's fine. Fine. I feel like we felt the same way with the Aperol spritz, the the bottled Aperol spritzes that we tried. We tried them earlier in the year. They were they were fine, but I get it. I get that people want that brand name to go along with that drink, and yeah. it's easy. Right? And it's easy, and like again, this also this is one hundred. Like it literally says on the back, Campari bitter thirty three point three percent. Vermouth Rosso thirty three point three percent. Lunda Dry Gin thirty three point three percent. Point one percent. God's tears. No, not just kidding. Uh, it's knows? just they, they don't say. I don't understand. So where's the point one percent? It's missing. <laughs> That's what we're missing in the drink, apparently. Water. Uh, <laughs> but you know, they they also made a very classic equal parts Negroni, right. mm-hmm. which as we've yeah. now you know, some people don't like an equal parts Negroni. Some people like a Negroni with a little less vermouth, which are with a little more gin. Like there's pre- flavor preferences, but uh, but I think 
you know, it is a very run of the mill Negroni. Like you, you, this is the kind of Negroni that like, I would not be mad at this if I got this at an airport. I would not be mad at this if I got this at a, at a casual restaurant. I would not be mad at this if most of my friends who had me over made this. Like it's fine. It's a fine Negroni. I'm curious what the host of Cocktail College thinks because he's sitting here engineering for Keith's absence and he's just like making faces. So Tim, mm-hmm. what do you think of this Negroni? This may surprise you here, but my take on the Negroni is I think that the difference between a bad Negroni and a good Negroni is so small. Yeah. <laughs> the Do you like a Negroni? I think it's fine. I think it's a compl- <laughs> He's got, I think his it's baseline a is that he doesn't love the cocktail. I think it's a massively over, uh, overrated cocktail. I think it's good. But like I say, like I don't think it's a cocktail you can enjoy a lot of nuance in. What do I think of this? I think this is good. I think this is a fine Negroni. Again, I can't think of many other Negronis I've had in my life where I've been like, oh my God, that was a that was an amazing Negroni. Mm. You know what I mean? And and I think the reason, as you guys mentioned, that this Negroni is not very good is because Grupo Campari does a lot of things very well. Gin is not one of them. I mean, I think it doesn't take a lot of Googling to to work out what gin they're using in this. And I cannot find a bartender in the world that's going... This one is this the one. This is my favorite gin. This yeah. is the one. This is my Negroni gin. So I think, yeah. But that's I, why I, I think this was you. a smart move for them. This was very smart. And I think, again, I think it is, it's fine. It's totally fine. Like, I would never tell someone. I would tell a lot of people to buy this. Like, if you want to have Negronis at your dinner party or in an evening where, you know, I would I would gladly have this at the house and be able to have one once in a while i actually find some of the like the craft ones i've had to not be as good as this Mm -hmm. to be like way too aggressive with the bitter or even like more aggressive with the gin like this is pretty good because i think because right because they're trying to have an identity and as joanna rightly pointed out the negroni is 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 a campari cocktail yes and if you're using anything other than Campari, it's not the same drink. And again, there is a reason why every single bartender, or all the bartenders you speak to, what do you drink at dive bars? They'll say Negronis because it's it's so dependable. And again, that goes back to, okay, why aren't you ordering a martini there? Because a bad martini really fucking sucks. Yeah, yeah. And a great one is amazing. Negroni, is, it's, it's really safe, which is good. But again, I, I struggle to get excited about Negronis. Well, thank you for your thoughts, Tim. And... Uh, I would, you know, this is now out on the market. So if you if you pick it up and give it a whirl, shoot us an email, podcastdivinebear.com. Let us know what you think. Also, if you have uh, craft canned RTD brands or bottle RTD brands that you like, shoot us an email and let us know what they are. I'd love to try them out. Uh, we love checking all of those, uh, you know, new emerging brands out when we can. Uh, and Joanna and Zach, talk to you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also... I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair's tasting director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. 
Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.